Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you back for another episode of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin, and I'm happy to be a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. A team of Texas veterinarians is helping California recover from massive wildfires. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up. The learning curve for producing and processing industrial hemp in Texas is steep, but the list of things to do got a little shorter in the last few weeks. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in my report from the Rolling Plains. Drought conditions have improved in one part of Texas while getting worse in others. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Rural Community Partnerships through USDA. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have all those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas Wildlife News, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, we'll kick things off with a look at news headlines. This is National 4-H Week in Texas, and Lone Star Youth are celebrating the impact that 4-H has had on their counties and communities. Callie Henley is the Texas 4-H Marketing and Communications Specialist with the Texas AgriLife Extension Service. Here in Texas, you know, we're proud to be part of National 4-H, and we are certainly proud to have the biggest membership among the states of 4-H. And so um, we have 4-Hers in their counties holding some virtual events this year, um, doing some community service, um, celebrating 4-H online with some social media challenges. Henley says National 4-H Week will be a little different this year, but they're making the best of the COVID-19 situation. Really where that comes into play is at the county level where they may have had, um, you know, an event or a special meeting or something and they've had to turn this virtual or, you know, find an outdoor location, um, wear masks, you know, um, social distance. So there definitely have been some changes, um, but there's certainly still a way to, you know, get involved and celebrate. Texas 4-H reaches more than 550,000 youth each year. Cotton condition ratings decline here in Texas. The latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report released this week shows that only 6% of the cotton crop is rated excellent, 19% of the crop rated in the good category, 36% of the cotton rated fair, and a whopping 39% of the Texas cotton crop rated poor to very poor. 26% of the crop is now harvested. 83% of the crop has open bowls. A team of Texas veterinarians is helping California recover from massive wildfires. Jessica Domel has the story. A team of veterinarians and support staff from Texas are spending the month in California helping animals affected by wildfire. Nine members of the Texas A&M Veterinary Emergency Team 
and six agents from the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service are now in Butte County, California, providing consistency in operational management and veterinary medical care. They're supporting three animal shelters that have taken in almost 500 displaced animals. The team was deployed to the same area last December and has a close working relationship with the community. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The learning curve for producing and processing hemp here in Texas is steep, but the list of things to do got a little shorter in the last few weeks. Barry Mahler reports from the Rolling Plains. When the Texas legislature approved the growing and processing of industrial hemp during its last session, it stirred a lot of activity to try to bring the raising of hemp to Texas. I remember early on the discussions among farmers, where do we start? After all, all we need to do is learn how to raise it, harvest it, process it, develop a market for the product. And, well, it's a long list, as you can imagine. And as it's turned out, that long list of things to do has gotten really even a little longer as we moved along. It's almost overwhelming as to what to pursue first. We didn't know about seed varieties, planting dates, fertility, weed control, seeding rates, and, well, the list goes on and on. Then if we could raise it, where's the market? What are the economics of doing so? AgriLife Extension is always there to help with things like this, but it was it, until it was approved by the legislature, the rules were written, and everything was approved, the agency couldn't even discuss it, much less do research. So here we are today, slowly picking away that long list of challenges, and a major move forward came this month when Panda Biotech, announced that they were building a hemp gin for the processing of industrial hemp fiber in Wichita Falls. Now, the gin's going to be a 500,000-square-foot building. It's on I-44. It'll be in operations in the first quarter of 2021. Hopes to be in full production the first quarter of 2022. Now that we have a processing plant coming and the economics of it being developed, the move is on to learn how to raise it. The list of questions is still long, but at a recent field day, someone commented that raising it might be pretty difficult. And the answer that came was, well, so was wheat and cotton the first time we tried it. There will be more on this to come in future reports. Reporting from North Central Texas, I'm Barry Muller. Drought conditions have improved in one part of Texas while getting worse in others. Gary Joyner takes a closer look. 32% of the state is now suffering from moderate or worse drought, according to the Texas Water Development Board. That is unchanged from last week due to improvements in the eastern part of the state and continued degradation in the western part. The area of Texas suffering from extreme or worse drought increased by two percentage points over the past week and now covers 12% of the state. I'm Gary Joyner on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA is helping to form rural community partnerships here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti has more. The Office of Partnerships and Public Engagement within the U.S. Department of Agriculture connects rural and underserved communities across the United States. Those communities receive education, tools, and resources from USDA to foster hope and opportunity, wealth creation, and asset building. Mike Beatty, the director of the Office of Partnerships and Public Engagement, is on our program again today from the Texas Rio Grande Valley. There, he met with his office's faith-based partner and the role played in food distribution. The Valley Baptist Mission Center, and this is our faith-based partner, and they have 800 churches that they work with, farmers to food box. That's kind of what we call a hub. And then those individuals come in and, uh, you know, pick those boxes up today. 
I think we delivered several hundred boxes out into some of the colonias here. And as you know, Tom, this is a tough time. We got a pandemic going on. People are not able to work. Kids are not in school. So this is just the right thing to do. I love Secretary Purdue's emphasis on this, that last mile, work with food banks, work with nonprofits all through the nation. But getting that last mile to those hungry kids is really important. And that's really what we did today. What about uh, the function of uh, working with socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers across the country? We just did our what we call our 2501 grant process. And, you know, that's so key. And uh, we have tremendous small farmers and some large farmers. Last several weeks, I've been visiting with farmers all through the country that, uh, you know, have been socially disadvantaged. We make sure they have the information and the assistance they need to take advantage, uh, you know, of the great USDA programs and help them, you know, through different, you know, financial literacy programs, you know, great farming mentors to help them be successful with a real focus on uh, generational farming so that we work with a lot of the African-American farmers to make sure that uh, their heirs are able to continue to farm and uh, to bring the great value that they've been bringing for over 100 years. Now, part of your trip here in Texas, Mike, is in uh, the state capital of Austin, where you'll be speaking at uh, youth and veteran roundtables. Talk about the importance of uh, youth as part of the Office of Partnerships and Public Engagement. And Tom, I'm a former teacher and a coach. You may, if you hang around me a little bit, you'll know that. But and the secretary has such a strong emphasis on youth. And, you know, we work closely with 4-H and FFA, and we have some tremendous intern programs and our 1890 scholars program and scholarship programs to really identify these great young people with futures in agriculture and other businesses. And we use the phrase that they're really acres of diamonds of our young people uh, throughout rural America. And and our veterans, you know, we have a lot of veterans that we're working with that are coming out of the service, and we're doing some really innovative programs to help these veteran farmers and ranchers be successful. Those comments from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Mike Beatty. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Gulf Coast residents are bracing for yet another hurricane. Like the others, this one could also have agricultural impacts. Gary Crawford has more from Washington. Yes, Delta is the name of an airline company, but it is also... The 25th named storm of the 2020 season. A hurricane which Agriculture Department meteorologist Brad Rippey says already has reached Category 4 strength and which sometime late Friday or early Saturday could strike somewhere along the central Gulf Coast from Louisiana to Mississippi or Alabama. The fourth hurricane to make U.S. landfall in as many months. What is a little bit concerning about this forecast track is that it could double up on one of the previous storms. Causing damage to areas not yet fully recovered from Hurricanes Hannah, Laura, and Sally. Agriculturally, Delta could sweep across Louisiana sugarcane country. Louisiana typically accounts for almost half of U.S. sugarcane production. Harvest is just getting underway in Louisiana. And about 85% of the crops still in the field. Delta could also track further east into, ironically, the Mississippi Delta region, threatening cotton and, to a lesser extent, rice and soybeans. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The National Bison Association and some lawmakers are asking for more help for bison raisers from USDA. I'm Jessica Dolmel. I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. 
And some new medications used to treat a deadly coronavirus in cats may be useful in treating COVID-19 in humans. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will fill us in on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Some new medications used to treat a deadly coronavirus in cats might be useful in treating COVID-19 in humans. Dr. Bob Judd has the details. Feline infectious peritonitis, commonly called FIP, is a deadly disease that usually affects younger cats and is caused by a mutated coronavirus. Two antiviral drugs have become available mostly from China that are being tested on cats with this disease. And the AVMA Journal indicates these vaccines are available on the black market and some desperate cat owners have turned to them. In April, the Journal of Feline Medicine and Surgery evaluated the safety of one of the drugs that is a nucleoside analog and found the antiviral drug to be successful in treating 80% of 31 cats tested and the drug seems to be safe. Effectiveness of this new drug was greater than the previous viral protease inhibitor, which was the first antiviral drug produced, but this drug interfered with the development of permanent teeth in kittens, so it was not a good option. A number of manufacturing labs, mostly in China, are manufacturing unapproved versions of both drugs, and some veterinarians are concerned with legal and ethical constraints when using an illegal drug. Certainly, a vet would have to get written permission from the owner of the pet to use these drugs, and not hold the vet liable for reactions, but legal problems for the vet could still occur. These drugs are also being studied for use in humans with severe COVID-19 infections. As far as FIP in cats, Colorado State is working on a vaccine to prevent the disease. This is not an easy task, as previous attempts at producing a coronavirus vaccine to prevent FIP in cats have been unsuccessful. Hopefully, scientists will have better success developing a vaccine for COVID-19 in people. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's an effort in Washington to help the U.S. bison industry. Jessica Domo reports. Twelve U.S. Senators sent a letter last week to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Undersecretary Greg Eibach urging approval of the National Bison Association's request for a $17 million purchase of bison meat under the Section 32 Surplus Removal Program. The effort was led by John Hoven, a North Dakota Republican, and Michael Bennett, a Colorado Democrat. Dave Carter, executive director of the National Bison Association, says the bison industry has been hit by COVID-19 and other factors. But even last year, we had a larger than anticipated crop of market-ready animals uh, coming in to be processed because USDA hasn't tracked you know, bison on feed or weaning reports or anything like that. We didn't have a periscope to tell us that these animals were 
were coming through the pipeline. So we started to see a buildup of, of supply and, and some real downward pressure on our prices that preceded COVID-19. The senators wrote in their letter that an existing authority under Section 32 of the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1935 allows the U.S. Department of Agriculture to make purchases of farm products to be used for distribution throughout the federal food and nutrition programs. And we're just asking for a purchase of ground bison meat, and it would be everything from the food distribution program on Indian reservations to VA hospitals to, you know, other federal institutions. Carter says he recently heard from the Agricultural Marketing Service, and as they enter the new fiscal year, evaluation will be done, and the bison industry should know more within the next month. Those comments today were from Dave Carter with the National Bison Association. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It's been a great week in the agricultural markets. The cattle market has gained some ground. Cotton and wheat both making very nice gains this week. So how do we wrap things up on Thursday? Well, stay with us and we'll take a complete look at all the markets coming up next right here on Texas Ag Today. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, our agricultural markets have all been on fire this week. We've seen higher closes in just about everything this week. Livestock, cotton, grains. So I guess we were due for a pullback here on Thursday. We ended up closing lower in live and feeder cattle. October live cattle down 47, 109.70. December down 47, 112.62. February live cattle down 92 at 115 even. Same thing in the feeder cattle market. October feeders down 45, 138.05. November feeders down $1.42, 136.45. January feeder cattle down $1.35, 134.97. Now let's step over to the cash markets. Fed cattle still quiet, no sale reported. However, the bids coming in at 107 from the Packers in Texas and Kansas. Feedlots have the cattle priced at 110. We should definitely see some trade break out on Friday as Packers try to procure their needs for the coming week. Boxed beef prices mixed choice down 75 to 1613. Select unchanged 20558. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Caldwell Livestock Commission, Caldwell, Texas, selling 795 head this week. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.30 to $1.80 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.50 to $1.92. 
Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar thirty to a dollar seventy. Five to six weight steers, a dollar twenty-five to a dollar fifty-four. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty-seven. And seven to eight weight steers, a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty a pound. Slaughter cows, thirty to sixty-three cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-six to eighty-five. Stocker cows brought five hundred to nine fifty ahead. Pearsall Livestock Auction in Pearsall, Texas, 984 heads sold. The trend steady to lower. Two to three weight steers, $1.40 to $1.70 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.35 to $1.65. Four to 500 pounders, $1.30 to $1.60. Five to six weight steers, $1.15 to $1.40. With six to seven weights bringing $1.05 to $1.30 a pound. Slaughter cows, 22 to 50 cents. Slaughter bulls, 52 to 80. Stocker cows brought 700 to $1,000 a head. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs continue to climb higher. October hogs up 47 cents, 77.35. December up 227, closing at 66.85. Class 3 milk futures mixed. October milk up 28 cents. 2066 100 November milk down 6 at 1930 100 weight. The cotton market pulled back after constant gains throughout this week. USDA released its latest export sales report Thursday morning. It looks like the trade was a bit disappointed in that sales report. However, we continue to have some support under the market with Hurricane Delta making its way toward Louisiana and that Mid-South and Southeast cotton crop. We close with December cotton down 14 points, 67.45, March down 9, 68.26. The wheat market taking a definite breather on Thursday. The wheat market now sitting at levels we haven't seen in about five years. December Kansas City wheat down 15 and three quarters, 528 and three quarters. New crop July wheat down 14 and a half, 548 and three quarters. December corn down one and three quarters, 387 a bushel. In the energy markets, November natural gas up three cents at 264. November crude oil up a dollar 23, 41.18 a barrel. And finally, the financial markets higher with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 89 points, 28,394. The NASDAQ up 47 at 11,412. The S&P 500 up 24 points, 3,444. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up yet another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and you can find it all right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.